Chapter 27 On a new day in mid-November, they all sat grouped about the dinner table, eating the last of the dessert concocted by Mammy from cornmeal and dried huckleberries, sweetened with sorghum. There was a chill in the air, the first chill of the year, and Pork, standing behind Scarlet's chair, rubbed his hands together in glee and questioned, Ain't it about time for the hog killing, Miss Scarlet? You can taste those chit- chitlins already, can't you? said Scarlet with a grin. Well, I can taste fresh pork myself, and if the weather holds for a few days more, well... Melanie interrupted, her spoon at her lips. Listen, dear, somebody's coming. Somebody hollering, said Pork uneasily. On the crisp autumn air came clear the sound of horses' hooves, thudding as swiftly as a frightened heart, and a woman's voice high-pitched, screaming, Scarlet! Scarlet! I met I for a dreadful second around the table before chairs were pushed back and everyone leaped up. Despite the fear that made it shrill, they recognized the voice of Sally Fontaine, who only an hour before had stopped at Tara for a brief chat on her way to Jonesboro. Now, as they all rushed pell-mell to crowd the front door, they saw her coming up the drive like the wind on a lathered horse, her hair streaming behind her, her bonnet dangling by its ribbons. She did not draw rein, but as she galloped madly toward them, she waved her arm back in the direction from which she had come. The Yankees are coming! I saw them! Down the road! The Yankees! She sawed savagely at the horse's mouth, just in time to swerve him from leaping up to the front steps. He swung around sharply, covered the side lawn in three leaps, and she put him across the four-foot hedge as if she were on the hunting field. They heard the heavy pounding of his hooves as he went through the backyard down the narrow lane between the cabins of the quarters and knew she was cutting across the fields and to Momosa. For a moment, they stood paralyzed, and then Sue Ellen and Kareen began to sob and clutch each other's fingers. Little Wade stood rooted, trembling, unable to cry. What he had feared since the night he left Atlanta had happened. The Yankees were coming to get him. Yankee. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yankees? said Gerald vaguely. But the Yankees have already been here. Mother of God! cried Scarlet, her eyes meeting Melanie's frightened eyes. For a swift instant, there went through the, her memory again the horrors of her last night in Atlanta, the ruined homes in the dotted countryside. All the stories of rape and torture and murder. She saw again the Yankee sh- soldier standing in the hall with Ellen's sewing box in his hand. She thought, I shall die. I shall die right here. I thought we were through with all that. I shall die. I can't stand anymore. Then her eyes fell on the horse saddled and hitched and waiting for Pork to ride him to the Tarleton place on an errand. Her horse. Her only horse. The Yankees would take him and the cow and the calf and the sow and her litter. Oh, how many tiring hours it had taken to catch that sow and her agile young. And they'd take the rooster and the setting hens and the ducks the fountains had given her, and the apples and the yams and the pantry bins and the flour and the rice and dried peas and the money in the Yankee soldier's wallet. They'd take everything and leave them to starve. They shan't have them, she cried aloud, and they all turned startled faces to her, fearful her mind had cracked in their tidings. I won't go hungry. They shan't have them. What is it, Scarlet? What is it? The horse, the cow, the pigs. They shan't have them. I won't let them have them. She turned swiftly to the four negroes who huddled in the doorway, their black faces a peculiarly ashen shade. The swamp, she said rapidly. What swamp? 
The river swamp, you fools. Take the pigs to the swamp, all of you, quickly, pork. You and Percy crawl into the house and get the pigs out. Sue Ellen, you and Corrine fill the baskets with as much food as you can carry and get to the woods. Mammy, put the silver in the well again. And pork, pork, listen to me. Don't stand there like that. Take Pa with you. Don't ask me where. Anywhere. Go with pork, Pa. That's a sweet Pa. Even in her frenzy, she thought what the sight of blue quotes might do to Gerald's wavering mind. She stopped and wrung her hands, and the frightened sobbing of little Wade, who was clutching Melanie's skirt, added to her panic. What shall I do, Scarlet? Melanie's voice was calm, amid the wailing and tears and scurrying feet. Though her face was paper white, and her whole body trembled, the very quietness of her voice steadied Scarlet, revealing to her that they all looked to her for commands, for guidance. The cow and the calf, she said quickly. They're in the old pasture. Take the horse and drive them into the swamp and... Before she could finish the sentence, Melanie shook off Wade's clutches and was down the front steps and running toward the horse, pulling up her wide skirts as she ran. Scarlet caught a flashing glimpse of her thin legs, a flurry of skirts and underclothing, and Melanie was in the saddle, her feet dangling far above the stirrups. She gathered up the reins and clapped her heels against the animal's sides and then abruptly pulled him in, her face twisting with horror. "'My baby!' she cried. "'Oh, my baby! The Yankees will kill him! Give him to me!' Her hand was on the pommel, and she was preparing to slide off, but Scarlet screamed at her. Go on, go on, get the cow. I'll look after the baby. Go on, I tell you. Do you think I let them get Ashley's baby? Go on. <sighs> Melly looked despairingly backward, but hammered her heels into the horse, and with a scattering of gravel, she was off down their drive toward the pasture. Scarlet thought, I never expected to see Melly Hamilton straddling a horse. And then she ran to the house. Wade was at her heels, sobbing, trying to catch her flying scars. As she went up the steps, three at a bound, she saw Swellen and Corrine with split oak baskets on their arms, running toward the pantry, and Port tugging none too gently at Gerald's arm, dragging him toward the back porch. Gerald was mumbling gruesomely, whoa, querously, and pulling away like a child. From the backyard, she heard Mammy's strident voice. You press, you get on the, that horse house and hand me them shots. You knows mighty well as too big to crawl. Though them lattices, Dassey, come here and make this worthless trap. And I thought it was such a good idea to keep the pigs under the house so nobody could steal them. That Scarlet running into her room. Why, oh, why didn't I build a pen for them down the swamp? She tore open her top burl drawer and scratched about in the clothing until the Yankee's wallet was in her hand. Hastily, she picked up the solitaire ring and the diamond earbobs from where she had hidden them in her sewing basket and shoved them into the wallet. But where to hide it? In the mattress? Up the chimney? Throw it in the well? Put it in the bosom? No, never there. The outlines of the wallet might show through a basket. If the Yankees saw it, they would strip her naked and search her. I shall die if they do, she thought wildly. Downstairs, there was a pandemonium of racing feet and sobbing voices. Even in a frenzy, Scarlet wished she had Melanie with her. Melanie with her quiet voice. Melanie, who was so brave the day she shot the Yankee. Melanie was with three of the others. Melanie, what, what had Melanie said? Oh, yes, the baby. Clutching the wallet to her, Scarlet ran across the hall to the room where little Bo was sleeping in the low cradle. She snatched him up into her arms, and he awoke, waving small fists and slobbering slippery. She heard Swellen crying, Come on, Corrine! Come on! We've got enough! Oh, sis sister, hurry! 
There were wild squirrelings, indignant gruntings in the backyard, and running to the window. Scarlet saw Mammy swaddling hurriedly across the cotton field with a struggling young pig under each arm. Behind her was Pork, who also carrying two pigs and pushing Gerald before him. Gerald was stumping across the furrows, waving his cane. Leaning out of the window, Scarlet yelled, Get the so, Delcy! Make Percy drive her out! You can chase her across the fields! Delcy looked up, her bronze face harassed. In her apron was a pile of silver tableware. She pointed under the house. Um, the sow done bit Prissy, and she got her pinned up under the house. Good for the sow, thought Scarlet. She hurried back into her room and hastily gathered from her hiding place a bracelets, brooch, miniature, and, and cup she had found on the dead Yankee. But where to hide them? It was awkward carrying little Bo in one arm and the wallet and the trinkets in the other. She tried to lay him on the bed. He set up a wail of, at leaving her arms, and a welcome thought came to her. What better hiding place could there be than a baby's diaper? She quickly turned him over, pulled up his dress, and thrust the wallet down the diaper next to his backside. He yelled louder at the treatment, and she hastily tightened the tri triangular garment about his stretching legs. Now, she thought, drawing deep breath, now for the swamp. Tucking him screaming under one arm and clutching the jewelry to her with the other, she raced into the upstairs hall. Suddenly, her rapid steps paused, frightened, weakening her knees. How silent the house was. How dreadfully still. Had they all gone off and left her? Had anyone waited for her? She hadn't meant for them to leave her here alone. These days, anything could happen to a lone woman with the Yankees coming. She jumped as a slight noise sounded and, turning quickly, saw crouched at the banister her forgotten son, his eyes enormous with terror. He tried to speak, but his throat only worked silently. Get up, Wade Hampton, she commanded swiftly. Get up and walk. Mother can't carry you now. He ran to her like a small frightened animal and, clutching her wide skirt, buried his face in it. She could feel his small hands groping through the folds for her legs. She started down the stairs, each step hampered, by Wade's dragging hand, she said fiercely, Turn me loose, Wade! Turn me loose and walk! But the child only clung the closer. As she reached the landing, the whole lower floor leaped up at her. All the homely, well-loved articles of furniture seemed to whisper, Goodbye, goodbye. A sob rose in her throat. There was the open door of the office where Ellen had labored so dilig diligently, and she could glimpse a corner of the old secretary. There was a dining room with chairs pushed awry and food still on the plates. There on the floor was the rag rugs Ellen had dyed and woven herself. And there was the old portrait of Grandma Robillard with blossoms half bared, hair piled high, and nostrils cut so deeply as to give her face a perpetual well-bred sneer. Everything which had been part of her earliest memories, everything bound up with the deepest roots in her. Goodbye. Goodbye, Scarlet O'Hara. The Yankees would print it all. Oh! This was her last view of home. Her last view except what she might see from the cover of the woods or the swamp, the tall chimneys wrapped in smoke, the roof crashing in flames. I can't leave you, she thought, and her teeth chattered with fear. I can't leave you. Pa wouldn't leave you. He told, he told them they'd have to burn you over his head. Then they'd burn you over my head, if I, for I can't leave you either. You're all I've got left. With the decision, some of her fear fell away, 
there remained only a congealed feeling in her breast, as if all hope and fear had frozen. As she stood there, she heard from the avenue the sound of many horses' feet, the jingle of bridle bits and sabers rattling in scabbards, and a harsh voice crying a command, Dismount! Swiftly, she bent to the child beside her, and her voice was urgent but oddly gentle. Turn me loose, Wade, honey. You run down the stairs, quick, and through the backyard, toward the swamp. Mammy will be there, and Aunt Nellie. Run quickly, darling, and don't be afraid. At the change of her tone, the boy looked up, and Scarlet was appalled at the look in his eyes, like a baby rabbit in a trap. Oh, Mother of God, she prayed. Don't let him have a convulsion. Not, not before the Yankees. They mustn't know we are afraid. As the child only gripped her skirt the tighter, she said clearly, Be a little man, Wade. They're only a parcel of damn Yankees. And she went down the steps to meet them. Sherman was marching through Georgia from Atlanta to the sea. Behind him lay the smoking ruins of Atlanta to which the torch had been set. The blue army tramped out. Before him lay 300 miles of territory virtually undefended save by a few state militia and the old men and young boys of the home guard. Here lay the fertile state, dotted with plantations, sheltering the women and children, the very old and the Negroes in a, in a swath 80 miles wide. The Yankees were looting and burning. There were hundreds of homes in flames, hundreds of homes resounding with their footsteps. But to Scarlet, watching the blue coats pour into the front hall, it was not a countrywide affair. It was entirely personal, a malicious action aimed directly at her and hers. She stood at the foot of the stairs, the baby in her arms. Wade pressed tightly against her, his head hidden in her skirts, as the Yankees swarmed through the house, pushing roughly past her up the stairs, dragging furniture onto the front porch, running bayonets and knives into upholstery, and digging inside for concealed valuables. Upstairs, they were ripping open mattresses and feather beds until the air in the hall was thick with feathers that floated softly down on her head. Impotent rage crawled what little fear was left in her heart as she stood helpless while they plundered and stole and ruined. The surgeon in charge was a bow-legged, grisly little man with a large wad of tobacco in his cheek. He reached Scarlet before any of his men and, spitting freely on the floor, and her skirt said briefly, Let me have what you got in your hand, lady. She had forgotten the trinket she had intended to hide and in and with a sneer, which she hoped was as eloquent as that pictured on Grandma Ramberlin's face, she flung the articles to the floor and almost enjoyed the rap the rapacious scramble that ensued. I'll trouble you for that ring and them, e-bobs. Scarlet tucked the baby more securely under her arm so that her he hung face onward, crimson and screaming, and removed the garnet earrings which had been gerald's wedding present to ellen then she gripped off the large sapphire solitaire which Charles had given her as an engagement ring don't throw em hand em to me said the surgeon putting out his hands them bastards got enough already what else have you got his eyes went over her basque sharply for a moment scarlet went faint already feeling rough hands thrusting himself into her bosom fumbling at her garters that is all, but I suppose it is customary to strip your victims. Oh, I'll take your word, said the surgeon good-naturedly, spinning again as he turned away. Scarlet righted the baby and tried to soothe him, 
holding her hand over the place on the diaper where the wallet was hidden, thanking God that Melanie had a baby and that baby had a diaper. <laughs> Upstairs, she could hear heavy boots scrambling, trampling the protesting screech of furniture pulled across the floor, the crashing of china and mirrors, the curses when nothing of value appeared. From the yard came loud cries. Head him off. Don't let him get away. And the despairing squawks of the hens and quacking and honking of the ducks and geese. A pang went through her as she heard an agonized squealing, which was suddenly stilled by a pistol shot. And she knew that the soul was dead. Damn Prissy. She had run off and left her. If only the shots were safe. If only the family had gotten safely to the swamp. But there was no way of knowing. She stood quietly in the hall while the soldiers boiled about her, shouting and cursing. Wade's fingers were in her skirt in terrified grip. She could feel his body shaking as he pressed against her, but she could not bring herself to speak reassuringly to him. She could not bring herself to utter any word to the Yankees, either of pleading, protest, or anger. She could not only thank God that her knees still had the strength to support her, that her neck was still strong enough to hold her head high, but when a squad of bearded men came lumbering down the steps, laden with assortment of stolen articles, and she shot Charles' sword in the hands of one, she did cry out. That sword was Wade's. This is where Scarlet, like, I love this part. Sorry. Okay. It had been his father's and his grandfather's sword, and Scarlet had given it to the little boy on his last birthday. They had made quite a ceremony of it. And Melanie had cried, cried with tears of pride and sorrowful memory, and kissed him and said he must grow up to be a brave soldier like his father and his grandfather. Wade was very proud of it and had often climbed upon the table beneath where it hung to pat it. Scarlet could endure seeing her own possessions going out of the house in hateful alien hands, but not this, not her little boy's pride. Wade peering from the protection of her skirts at the sound of her cry, found speech and courage in a mighty sob. Stretching out one hand, he cried, Mine! You can't take that, said Scarlet swiftly, holding out her hand too. I can't, hey? It's a little soldier who held it, grinning impudently at her. Well, I can. It's a rebel sword. It, it's not. It's a Mexican war sword. You can't take it. It's my little boy's. It was his grandfather's. Oh, Captain, she cried. Turning to the surgeon, please make him give it to me. Surgeon, please at his promotion, step forward. Let me see that sword, but he said. Reluctantly, the little trooper handed it to him. It's got a solid gold hilt, he said. The surgeon turned it in his hands, held the hilt up to the sunlight to read an engraved inscription. To Colonel William R. Hamilton, he deciphered, from his staff for a gallantry Buena Vista, 1847. Oh, lady, he said. I was at Buena Vista myself. Indeed, said Scarlet icily. Was I? That was hot fighting, let me tell you. I ain't seen them hot fighting in this war at the as we seen in that one. So the sword was this little tyke's granddaddy's? Yes. Well, he can have it, said the surgeon who was satisfied enough with the jewelry and trinkets tied up in his handkerchief. But it's got a solid gold hilt, insisted the little trooper. We'll leave her that to remember us by, grinned the surgeon. Scarlet took the sword, not even saying thank you. 
why should she thank these thieves for returning her own property to her? She held the sword against her while the little cavalryman argued and wrangled with the surgeon. By God, I'll give these damn rebels something to remember me by, shouted the private finally when the sergeant, losing his good nature, told them to go to hell and not talk back. The little man went charging toward the back of the house and Scarlet breathed more easily. They had said nothing about hunting, burning the house. They hadn't told her to leave so they could fire it. Perhaps, perhaps. The men came rambling up onto the hall, upstairs, and out the doors. Anything? Questioned the surgeon. One hog and a few chickens and ducks. Some corn and a few yams and beans. That wildcat we saw on the horse must have given the alarm, all right. Regular Paul Rivera, eh? Well, there ain't much here, Sarge. You got the pickings. Let's move on before the whole country gets the news we're coming. Did you dig under the smokehouse? They generally bury things there. Ain't no smokehouse. Did you dig in the... Why would they say that? Ugh. Would they dig in the N-word cabins? Nothing but cotton in the cabins. We set fire to it. For a brief instant, Scarlet saw the long, hot days in the cotton field felt again the terrible ache in her back. The raw, bruised flesh of her soldiers, all for nothing. The cotton was gone. You ain't got much for fact, have you, lady? Army has been here before, she said coolly. That's fact. We were in the neighborhood in September, said one of the men, turning something in his hand. I'd forgot. Scarlet saw it was Ellen's gold thimble that he held. How often she had seen it gleaming in and out of Ellen's fancy work. The sight of it brought back too many hurting, hurting memories of the slender hand which had worn it. There it lay in the stranger's callous dirty palm, and soon it would find its way north and onto the finger of some Yankee woman who would be proud to wear stolen things, Ellen's thimble. Scarlet dropped her head to the enemy so the enemy could not see her cry. Tears fell slowly down on the baby's head. Through the blur, she saw the men moving toward the doorway, heard the sergeant calling commands in a loud, rough voice. They were going and Tar was safe. But with the pain of Ellen's memory on her, she was hardly glad. The sound of the banging sabers and horses' hooves brought little relief, and she s- stood suddenly weak and nervous, nerveless as they moved off down the avenue. Every man laden with stolen goods, clothing, blankets, pictures, hens, and ducks, and so. The so. Then to her nostrils was borne the smell of smoke, and she turned, too weak with lessening strain, to care about the cotton. Through the open windows of the dining room, she saw smoke drifting ha- lazily out of the negro cabins. There there went the cotton. There went the tax money, and part of the money which was to see them through this bitter winter. There was nothing she could do about it either, except watch. She had seen fires in cotton before, and she knew how difficult they were to put out, even with many men laboring at it. Thank God the quarters are so far from the house. Um, thank God there was no wind today to carry sparks of the roof to Tara. Suddenly she swung about, rigid as a poetry, and stared with horror-struck eyes down the hall, down the covered passageway toward the kitchen. There was smoke coming from the kitchen. Somewhere between the hall and the kitchen, she laid the baby down. Somewhere she flung off Wade's grip, slinging him against the well. She burst into the smoke-filled kitchen and reeled back, coughing, her eyes streaming tears from the smoke. Again, she plunged in, 
her skirts held up over her nose. The room was dark, lit as it was by one small window, and so thick with smoke that she bl she was blinded, but she could hear the hiss and crackle of flames. Dashing a hand across her eyes, she peered squinting and saw the lines of flame creeping across the kitchen floor toward the walls. Someone had scattered the blazing logs in the open fireplace across the whole room, and the tender dry pine floor was sucking at the flames and spewing them out the like water. Back, she rushed to the dining room and snatched a rag rug from the floor, spilling two chairs with a crash. I'll never beat it out. Never. Never. Oh, God. If only there was someone to help. Tara's gone. Gone. Oh, God. This is what little wrench meant when he said he'd give me something to remember him by. Oh, if I'd only be... Let him have had the sword. In the hallway, she passed her son lying in the corner with his sword. His eyes were closed and his face had a look of slack unearthly peace my god he's dead they frightened him to death she thought in agony but she raced by him to the bucket of drinking water which always stood in the passageway by the kitchen door she soused the end of the rug into the bucket and drawing a deep breath plunged again into the smoke-filled room slamming the door behind her for eternity she reeled and coughed beating the rug against the lines of fire that shot swiftly beyond her twice her long skirt took fire and she slapped at it with her hands she could smell the sickening smell of her hair scorching as it came loose from the pins and swept about her shoulders the flames raced ever beyond her toward the walls of the covered runway fiery snakes that wreathed and leaped in exhaustion sweeping her she knew that it was hopeless then the door swung open and the sucking draft flung the flames higher it closed with a bang and in the swift in the swirling smoke scarlet half blind saw melanie stamping her feet on the flames beating at them with something dark and heavy she saw her staggering heard her coughing caught a lightning flash glimpse of her set white face and eyes narrowed to slits against the smoke saw her small body carving back and forth as she swung her rug up and down for another eternity, they fought and swayed side by side, and Scarlet could see the lines of fire were shortening. Then suddenly, Melanie turned toward her and, with a cry, hit her across the shoulder with all her might. Scarlet went down in the whirlwind of smoke and darkness. When she opened her eyes, she was lying on the back porch, her head pillowed comfortably on Melanie's lap, and the afternoon sunlight was shining on her face. Her hands, face, and shoulders smarted intolerably from burns. Smoke was still rolling from the quarters, enveloping the cabins in thick clouds, and the smell of burning cotton was strong. Scarlet saw a wisp of smoke drifting from the kitchen, and she stirred frantically to rise. But she was pushed back as Melanie's calm voice said, Lie still, dear. The fire's out. She lay quiet for a moment, eyes closed, sighing with relief, heard the slobbering gargle of the baby nearby and the reassuring sound of Wade's hiccuffing. So he wasn't dead, thank God. She opened her eyes and looked up into Melanie's face. Her curls were singed, her face black with so smut, but her eyes were sparkling with excitement and she was smiling. You look like a n murmured Scarlet, burying her head wearily into her soft pillow. And you look like the end man in a min minstrel show. 
replied Melanie squabbly. Why did you have to hit me? Because, my darling, your back was on fire. I didn't dream you'd faint, though. The Lord knows you've had enough today to kill you. I came back as soon as I get the stocks safe in the woods. Nearly died thinking about you and the baby alone. Did the Yankees harm you? If you mean, did they rape me? No, said Scarlet, groaning as she tried to get it up, though Melanie's lap was soft. The porch on which she was lying was far from comfortable. But they've stolen everything, everything. We've lost everything. Well, what, what is there to look so happy about? We haven't lost each other, and our babies are all right, and we have a roof over our heads, said Melanie, and there was a lilt in her voice. And that's all anyone can hope for now. Goodness, but Bo is wet. I suppose the Yankees even stole the extra diapers. He, Scarlet, what on earth is in his diaper? She thrust a suddenly frightened hand down the baby's back and brought up the wallet. For a moment, she looked at it as if she had never seen it before. And then she began to laugh, peal on peal of mirth that had in no hint of hysteria. And it no hint of hysteria. Nobody but you would have thought of it. She cried and flinging her arms around Melanie Scarlet's neck, she kissed her. You are the beatenest sister I ever had. Scarlet permitted the embrace because she was too tired to struggle. Because the words of praise brought balm to her spirit and because in the dark smoke-filled kitchen there had been born a greater respect for her sister-in-law, a closer feeling of comradeship. I'll say this for her, she thought, grudgingly. She's always there when you need her.